welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and passionate about helping more women to understand and accept their amazing ADHD brains. After speaking to many women just like me, and probably you, I know there is a need for more health and lifestyle support for women newly diagnosed with ADHD. In these conversations, you'll learn from insightful guests, hear new findings and discover powerful perspectives and lifestyle tools to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and purposeful life wherever you are on your ADHD journey. Here's today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. We're still reflecting back on old episodes and I'm delighted to bring to you today two guests that started with me right at the beginning of the podcast. One is Diane Wingert. Now, Diane is a fantastic coach. She was one of the people that I started listening to just as I got um, diagnosed and um, she was actually on my previous podcast and she is fantastic. She's no nonsense, no BS. She just cuts through all the other noise and she's incredibly articulate. And we talked about building resiliency. We talk about sort of really recognising our fear and really leaning into this sort of imposter syndrome and really recognising what it is that we want to be doing and how we can help ourselves by understanding, understanding the trauma perhaps that we've gone through, but also understanding the resiliency and how to build that a little bit more. We also talk about um, confident communication methods, which I think is vital because sometimes with ADHD or very often with ADHD, we find it hard to communicate there and then in the moment when we really need to. Often we we know so much, but when it comes down to maybe confrontation or being assertive, it is very difficult to be able to articulate ourselves. So we talk a little bit about that and we talk about how being in business with ADHD can be fantastic, but there are also downfalls as well uh, with our RSD, really sort of overthinking lots of things. And we touch on menopause, which I think is really impactful because it's um, an acknowledgement that it does impact so much of our life, but including our work as well. So that was with Diane. And then we move on to JM, who I absolutely love. She's an ADHD creative coach. Again, we sort of, um, we spoke way at the beginning of the, the podcast. And I loved talking to her. The, the full episode, we really go into her music. And we talk about all the different areas of her career, really, that sort of mesh together with regards to creativity. But with this conversation, we talk about growing up undiagnosed. We talk about um, her family being black and having ADHD and really sort of seeing the the difficulties that can have when it's not conversed, it's not talked about in your community, but also being um, on the back foot in both ways as well. So it's a really fascinating conversation. And not only do we talk about that, Jay sort of explains to us about how she finds it difficult to relax and do nothing. And we talk about that together, that um, just being sort of settled with ADHD is, is very difficult. So we have to start sort of rethinking the way we think and start leaning into our brains, understanding our brains, and then hopefully creating a way of living and working that works well for us. 
and giving ourselves lots of self-compassion in the in the mix. I really hope that you enjoyed this week's episode and very soon we'll be back with a brand new series. So keep listening. We've got a fantastic episode coming up in a few days. So keep an ear out for that. Then we are going to be back with some brand new episodes. Take care. Here's the episode. Let's hear from Diane Wingert. Can you tell me a little bit about how you work with your clients about building resiliency and eliminating that fear that we've constantly been listening to that prevents us from being our, our best selves? Thank you for asking me about resiliency in particular, because it is one of my favorite subjects and always has been. You are probably aware that at least half of all women who get diagnosed with ADHD also have a trauma history. There are people who think the two are very intimately related. In fact, there are people who even think that ADHD is caused by trauma. I don't share that view. However, many of us have had trauma. And because many of us also have sensitivity to rejection, the micro trauma of getting so much negative feedback throughout our lives before we actually know who we are is something that is either going to beat you down and hold you down or you are going to develop resiliency. So I find it really fascinating that many people with ADHD end up going into sales careers because if you are a person who is sensitive to rejection and you're in sales or a solopreneur who is selling yourself, you are going to have to have a different relationship with rejection. And I think it's something that I think learning to do is extremely important. Now, we are female. We are socialized by female norms, which is to be nice, to put other people's needs first, not to be greedy, don't take too much, say, oh, no, you can have the last cookie and so forth. But as a solopreneur, you do need to be self-focused. Now, that's the term I use, not selfish, because that's what people who are critical of driven women will call us. But we need to be self-focused, and the resiliency comes from a couple of things. One not everything you do is going to work out in the way you hope it will. In fact, the majority of things will not work out because we are creative, imaginative, and usually the way we think something's going to be, it's not going to be matched by reality. I think it's why so many of us are prone to depression because what we envision and what we get, there's always a gap. So minding that gap is where the resiliency comes from. This is the result that I want to achieve. This is the outcome that I want to create. This is what I want to happen in this interaction with this other person, like a discovery call. I want it to result in a new client who adores me and I can help and we have a great experience. But they might think, mm, I don't like the sound of her voice or she swears too much. <laughs> or I actually had a person tell me one time, you, you will love this, Kate. The reason she decided not to work with me I was too confident. Hmm. Like, I got to admit, that's a first. And that, that's, a, that's a very original reason for not working with someone. But I think the resiliency comes from knowing that your reality is, is probably not going to match what you envision in your head and making peace with that. Because that's part of being a creative person. That is part of being an entrepreneur. We are visionaries. We imagine we're going to create this wonderful sales page or this wonderful post or this wonderful podcast episode. And maybe it's crickets. Now, we could take our ball and go home. We could give up. We could quit. We could say, this isn't for me. Or we could say, hmm, that's interesting. I'm curious. Why didn't the result I envision happen? The more you go through that, 
and you don't quit and you don't give up and you don't get sour and you don't pull the victim card and try to play with that, you automatically develop resiliency. Every time you take a risk, every time you face your fear, every time you have a rejection sensitive moment and you use tapping or go for a walk or whatever you do to calm your nervous system, shift your mindset and keep on going, you are developing resiliency. I knew that I had to develop this sense of resiliency and maybe it's been there. You know, I think when we are used to picking ourselves up and dusting ourselves off, I think you're probably right from a young age and those micro traumas that come in and yeah, it's interesting to be able to look at it like that of the rejection sensitivity as well, because we are naturally more sensitive to criticism and failure and rejection. But then we also have on the flip side, I think we do develop quite a high resiliency. So it's interesting how they go backwards and forwards. And why... you have to fail. You, If yeah. you want to be a resilient person, one of my favorite clients, Kate, refers to me as the speaker of uncomfortable truths. Mm. I love that so much. And that's why I refer to myself as being no BS. By American standards, I am extremely direct. And a lot of American men would say, uh, frankly, obnoxious. <laughs> right? And so I tried to like dim myself down. I tried to be more quiet. I tried to be less direct. It was exhausting and I actually got depressed. So I thought maybe I just need to find the people who are like, oh, thank you. Thank you. I think being direct is a gift. Not that, that I have the gift. I mean, I can't help it. This is how I am. I think it's a gift to the other person because you know one thing about having ADHD, we hate wasting time because our relationship with time is, well, let's just say it's very interesting. But I don't like having my time wasted and I don't like wasting other people's time. So when you're direct, it gives people the opportunity to see who you are, to know where you stand, and then they can decide very quickly, is this for me or I need to get <laughs> I need to get out of here. I think that's a gift. Like I'm not gonna string you along. I'm not going to, but when you are direct, like for example, some people say, you know, you'd be you'd have a much bigger audience if you didn't drop so many F-bombs. I don't care because the people who not only don't mind that I swear, they actually like it. Mm -hmm. Those are my people. Yeah. But you have to take the biggest risk of all as a solopreneur. And I know you will agree with me. The biggest risk of all is being who you actually are not pandering to your audience, not looking at, this is what people are looking for in the market. So I'm going to format myself into some version of that so that I can be successful. Honey, that ain't going to last. I mean, you might get out the door and you might even start to climb the ladder. You won't be able to sustain it because that's not who you are. So the biggest risk is being yourself. Will you get rejected? You better believe it. You better believe it, but it's all what you make that mean. Like when you make it mean, I shouldn't be a coach. I shouldn't be an entrepreneur. I should go get a job. I should shut up. I should stop being opinionated, stop, whatever. Um, you could think that. And you've seen plenty of our colleagues fizzle out. And next thing you know, 
They're on LinkedIn, available for work, looking for a job. And I'm like, what happened? Because they didn't develop the resiliency of not taking it personally when there were crickets. This is the difference between what you did and what someone who isn't resilient would do. When you said, I think what I'm offering is really good. I've seen your stuff. I subscribe to your newsletter. I've listened to your podcast. It's like, this is really good. If I'm not connecting with people who like it and want it and want to work with me, then I need to change something about where I'm pointing the message or how I'm sharing the message. I don't stop. That's where the resiliency comes from. You have to have the struggle if you want to be resilient. There is no quick path. You cannot not fail and be resilient. The only way to be resilient is to fail again and again and again. Once you've developed the resiliency muscle, it spans out in all areas of your life, doesn't it? I quite agree. And as a matter of fact, I do think for some of us, it gets better with age. I also know that once you go through menopause, and your brain is no longer under the influence of estrogen. I call it, I call menopause the estrogen evacuation because estrogen, I have a lot of thoughts about menopause. Menopause is actually when your body stops producing estrogen. Estrogen serves many important purposes, but the one I want to highlight, it is a psychoactive substance that is referred to as the tend and befriend hormone. Now, what that means is as long as you are under the influence of estrogen from the time you start menstruating until menopause, you are biologically programmed to put other people's needs, wishes, wants, preferences, and priorities ahead of your own. If this were not programmed into us as human beings, we wouldn't have children or we would eat our young like some animals do. And so we need to put the needs of others ahead of our own during all those childbearing years. But once your kids are grown and flown and you don't need that other focus, your body doesn't provide that for you anymore. I think a postmenopausal woman is a force to be reckoned with. Now, if you are in your 30s or 40s and you're thinking, no, no, don't say this. I don't want to wait 10 or 15 more years. I promise my clients, I choose my clients. They choose me, but I choose them. And I won't work with anyone that wants to work with me. I interview them and I select the people I want to work with because I only want to do work that creates amazing outcomes. And if I don't think I can do that, we're not going to dance. But um, they have to be ready for direct information and so forth. And not everybody is. I promise my clients that I will shave decades off your learning curve. How to be an assertive woman, how to be a confident woman, how to be a successful entrepreneur, and how to live very well as a woman with ADHD. It doesn't have to take you until menopause and beyond. I am of many generations of women who nobody saw our ADHD because they weren't looking for it. And when they saw what they saw, they attributed it to other things. She's unmotivated. She's lazy. She's spacey. She's stupid. She's disinterested. She's, you know, weirdo. She's whatever. We've always been here and our ADHD has always been here, but you don't find what you're not looking for. And by the time you understand this is who I am, you've accumulated decades 
of negative labels and negative self-appraisals. And that's a big part of what I do. I think of it as like emotional and mental exfoliation. We have to scrape off all those layers of all that conditioning where other people have told you who you are. You don't even know who you are after so many years of listening to that. And that's part of the resiliency too is saying, you know what? I think it's high time, whether I'm in my 30s, my 40s, even your 20s, I am not going to let other people convince me who they think I am. It is my job to figure out who I actually am and what I want to do in this world. And I think a lot of us want to be entrepreneurs because I think it's a natural fit for the gifted or ADHD brain. Don't you agree? Oh, 100%. Absolutely. How do you encourage someone who is scared to you know, maybe their boundaries have been off and maybe they have been terrified of offending people or saying what they want. How can you just step into confident communication without the fear of upsetting people, I would say? Maybe I'm asking from a personal perspective. You know what? I think it's a it's an excellent question. And this is really the heart of my coaching is boundaries, clear, confident communication and not necessarily helping women not have fear anymore, because I think this whole notion of being fearless is not appropriate. It's not necessary. It's not really sustainable. Fear is normal. Fear is human. We should be grateful that we experience fear because fear is biologically programmed into us for survival. If you were fearless, you'd walk right out in front of a moving car. It is normal to be fair. But let me tell you a little story. For my 60th birthday, I wanted to do something big. I always wanted to do something big, but I especially wanted to do something big for that birthday. So I asked my kids to go skydiving with me because I I love having shared experiences with my adult children. Um, So my goal was not just to do it because many people have gone skydiving. I wanted to have that experience and not be afraid. Because you and I have both heard that fear and excitement really both feel the same in the body. I know this is part of what you teach. So when you feel excitement in your body, you know, your heart speeds up, your mouth gets dry, you're very pinpoint focused. So all of the physiological signs of excitement are identical to those of fear. So I thought, what if I could jump out of this airplane at 13,000 feet after I've sat through a 17-minute video and a 17-page informed consent (laughs) where after every paragraph, they wanted me to acknowledge, yes, I understand that I could die or be permanently disabled and I still want to do this. Can I actually do this without experiencing fear, only joy? And I believe I did. And it was through a combination of really very intentional, focused mindset work. Like I'm literally telling myself what to think and meditation. I've been a Buddhist for the last 15, 16 years. So meditation is a regular part. I am very masterful with my mind, but it was not always so. I've gone through two divorces. One of my children is bipolar. Like I have been through some serious shit in my life. So I'm not a, you know, anomaly, but my goal is that I want to be open to all experience and 
to the degree that it's possible, I want to choose my experience. Now, you're not going to start from timid, fearful, non-assertive, obsessed with what people think about you and not wanting to rock the boat. You're not going to jump out of an airplane and go, boom, I'm like Diane Winger. It's a process. But I realized after a time, Kate, that I was not actually living. I, by conforming to the norm, by being overly concerned with what other people wanted, expected, needed, or would tolerate from me, I really wasn't having any genuine relationships. I really wasn't making any honest choices because everything I did, everything I thought, everything I felt, all my actions, all my choices, all my behaviors, all my relationships were crafted with that filter of what will they think? And you can't have an honest anything with that as your filter. So how I work with my clients is to identify first, what are the places where you feel constrained, intimidated, worried, and so forth. It's usually not across the board. It is usually not like I am literally scared of my own shadow and I can't even confidently order my Starbucks. That's not, you know, there are usually certain people, certain uh, situations, certain environments that are more triggering to us, that make us more nervous, that heighten our fear factor. And getting really, really specific about those is the first step. It is a process, but I think being aware that you are not living the way that you want to, living powerfully, living authentically, living with your own choices is the start. I think if it's something that you really want and it's important to you, you can. I'll tell you about a client that I worked with who was literally, she grew up poor in another country and came to this country, as did her husband, and he became a very successful entrepreneur. She's a stay-at-home mom with a number of kids. And over the years, as he continued to become more and more successful, their lifestyle continued to up-level. She was so self-conscious about that and so still attached to the mindset that she had of a little abused poor kid from this other country that she was literally always wearing clothes from thrift stores. Now, listen, I got nothing against thrift store clothes. I, I love vintage fashion, but she literally was not allowing herself to inhabit her current lifestyle because one, she was still attached to her identity from the past, but terrified that other people would judge her. She had a nanny for her kids she wouldn't even let the nanny do anything because she felt if the nanny did any of the things that she would normally do as a stay-at-home mom, that it was like humiliating to her. I'm like, what is the woman doing all day? You're not letting her. So we really had to make some major reframes. And I remember one time she, I knew we were really having breakthroughs and she was really going to start picking up speed when she sent me a picture of herself wearing a really nice, very expensive outfit to go meet a friend for coffee. Now, this may sound like something you can't even relate to at all. Like, that's a problem I'd like to have (laughs) is to be. But the truth is, suffering is suffering. It doesn't matter what 
the source. It doesn't matter. And I say people have struggles at every level of society. Um, and a lot of people think, well, if I just had a lot of money, I wouldn't have any struggles. You are so wrong. You'll have different struggles. I really hope you are enjoying today's episode. And I wanted to let you know about all the resources and the library of content that I'm building for you on my website. I know so many of you who are waiting for a diagnosis or perhaps have had a diagnosis and then have just been offered the only option of medication. So my library of resources is really open for anyone that wants to learn more about how to help themselves and empower themselves with regards to their ADHD. As you probably have heard me talking about, I have my ADHD hormone series where I am speaking to lots of different experts and specialists about how our hormones have impacted us throughout our lives and the connection between ADHD. We're talking about migraines, about gut, about PCOS, endometriosis. We're talking about PMDD, postnatal depression, and the impact of ADHD on pregnancy. There are so many different areas and complexities that our ADHD shows up as women. And I want to give you that validation, but also give you lots of tools at your disposal, lifestyle tools, nutritional tools, being able to get genetic testings, really understanding your hormones, and also, of course, perimenopause and menopause and how that shows up. I'm speaking to lots of different doctors, nutritional therapists, real experts and scientists in their field. That is part of my resources, but I also have lots of free resources as well with regards to burnout, managing our energy, using EFT tapping, and just general well-being. So I really want you to be able to tap into these different resources, whether it's paid for, it's the free ones. Um, I've got your tapping into your gold workshop, which is a very empowering workshop, helping you thrive alongside your ADHD with regards to your career and leaning into your authenticity and really being open to what it is that you want out of life. Now you understand your ADHD, your brain, your energy, and I guess what your desires are now that you have more of an awareness around the way your brain works. So please head to my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk, choose the resources that work for you. Start slow, start with one workshop, with one resource. Try not to get overwhelmed, but I do urge you to look at the ADHD and hormones workshops because it's so groundbreaking and we're giving you the most up-to-date information and I am updating this with new specialists and experts as we speak. So I've just updated it and from September onwards, we are going to be increasing the price due to the increase in resources. So if you are interested, I would urge you to, to look at it right now at the launch price. Now let's hear from J.M., it is almost like that final missing piece, isn't it, of explaining and understanding, you know, your behavior, your childhood, everything. It's like, okay, now I understand. Yes. And even though it is a bit like, oh my God, now I've got this diagnosis, but I found it very, even though there was a lot of other things that kind of laid with it, I did find it very helpful to have an explanation because otherwise that's negative self-talk just goes, you know, you're lazy, you're disorganized. It just goes on and on and on. There's no stopping it at all because you've got no, you've got nothing to fight back. You've got no 
armor or ammunition to go, actually, no, I'm not lazy. I just have executive dysfunction. Or no, I'm not stupid. My brain is just wired differently to everyone else around me. I am talented, but I'm not, you know, talented just because of my parents. I'm talented because my brain's gone, do you know what? Let's hyper-focus on this and we're going to absorb everything we possibly can. There's so much more to consider when you've got all the pieces in place. Absolutely. And what you said then about signing up for a master's degree and let's do another (laughs) course, let's do this. Yeah, 100%. I nearly did. I got accepted to do a master's in positive psychology just before the pandemic. And I am so glad that I didn't do it because (laughs) I was tipping over the edge during the pandemic, you know, homeschooling the kids, starting my business, coaching. Uh, I was literally fraught. And if I had, you know, taken something on and I know that what would have happened is I would have berated myself constantly thinking, why can't I cope? Why am I not coping with everything? I should be doing this. And so it was a blessing that I got really good advice from someone saying, why do you need to do this master's? Like she really, she, she coached me and she said, what are you doing this for? And actually she got into the nitty gritty of it being a bit of an ego thing that I, I thought it would be a nice thing to have a, a master's degree. Yes, and like, wouldn't, it, wouldn't that be nice? But, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But it also tapped into my imposter syndrome as well. So which something that I had always, and again, this is ADHD is the imposter syndrome and putting other people's accomplishments on a pedestal. So I couldn't see anything that I'd achieved. Everything that I achieved was rubbish. It wasn't real. I yeah, really absolutely. Yeah. I bypassed something somehow, like I fluked my way into that, you know, course. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, nothing I've done is real. My four children aren't real. The house yeah. I'm do- I run is not real. It's, am- it's amazing how you can be so blind to the most obvious things right in front of you, it's it can be terrifying. It really, really can be quite terrifying. Yeah, and I'm so grateful she held that spotlight up for me and said, what are you doing this for? And really, you know, the answer was because it would be a, I don't know, maybe evidence that I'm doing well, maybe evidence that I am clever or whatever. I don't even know what I needed, but I think the assignments and all of that and put handing things in on time would have really been a problem for me. So I'm not saying never, but I don't think I needed that extra level of pressure um, during during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, no. I, speaking from experience, I can tell you it's not fun <laughs> doing a part-time master's degree whilst trying to keep your business afloat and in the middle of a pandemic and homeschooling your kids. Yeah, no, it's not fun. I can tell you that right now. It's absolutely not fun. I mean, I hilariously, when I applied for my master's degree, Of course, I applied 24 hours before closing deadline because why would I apply any earlier than that? And it was like, okay, I have 24 hours to record 20 minutes of music, pull out an assignment that had at least, was it 10,000 words or 1,000 words? I don't even remember. And then do my own character assessment. I've got 24 hours to do this. But because of my go-getter nature, again, tied into ADHD, it was like, okay, well, we're just going to do it and obviously did it and got in and all the rest of it. But it's bonkers to think that we put ourselves in that situation. And even in that short time frame, I remember thinking, yeah, but why am I doing this? Thankfully, I had valid answers. I'm still glad that I did it. But I know that there are other things like yourself where I've gone, you know what, let me just do this. I'm just going to quickly do this. And then I had to step back and go, yeah, but why? Why are you going to do that? And that's why is one of my favorite questions in the entire world. I love that question so much. 
brilliant so true yeah it really is because i don't think we ask ourselves enough we just well because we should or because it's the right thing to do or we need to or anything like that and i wonder actually after you'd handed in that assignment which sounds you know like hardcore you know all of that you had to get it in get it in on time i wonder how your nervous system was after that that week after because I know for me I would have been it probably would have taken me a few days to get over that because I would have felt so frazzled and burnt out interestingly I think I was all systems go but I think that also comes from years of training subliminal training via music via growing up as a professional cellist or at least as an amateur cellist as a kid you know in orchestras we have to suddenly just snap, be ready to get on stage, perform and just do it. And then, you know, I would have to come off stage and then have to talk to audience members and be, you know, perfectly calm. Oh, you know, how was the concert? Did you enjoy it? Oh, was it really? And that, that kind of small talk. So there was already training from that respect in managing, to an extent, managing my nervous system. For me, it's flipped. My nervous system is absolutely through the freaking roof before anything that puts pressure. So I'm like, I'm full on nerves, like absolutely freaking insane. And for the longest time ever, I couldn't perform because stage fright would just eat me alive or whatever was going on. And I just, I just couldn't, like, I just could not engage my brain. But afterwards I'd be like, okay, yeah, cool. Super chill, whatever. No biggie. And I find that the same after I've done presentations or I've just launched myself into yet another scenario where Jay's doing something at the last minute and I come out and I'm like, yep, it's great. When are we doing it again? <laughs> I think it's a very common denominator that women with ADHD are overachievers, high achievers, perfectionists. Yes. Doing nothing to them is very hard work. So they just keep adding more and more things to their their list. And I actually wrote an article for Attitude magazine um, about the connection that I had seen and again, sort of like online Facebook groups, people I'd spoken to between women and having big families, choosing to have a big family, loving the hustle and bustle of like lots of children in the house. And I know I've got four kids and so many people said to me, why, you know, what, why have you done that to yourself? You know, <laughs> for me, if I haven't got two of, if I've only got two kids in the house, it's like the house is like eerily quiet. I've got four kids in the house. I love the hustle and bustle until they all drop their shit in different rooms. <laughs> yeah. No one hangs their bags up. Their kitchen's a mess. <laughs> oh, and then God. We're constantly doing this dance, aren't we, between taking so much on yes. and then being tipped over and being like, oh, my God, everything is just horrific. And I wish I had the answer. I think it's just constantly tweaking a formula. It is. It is constantly tweaking. It's remembering to give yourself permission. It's, uh, oh, there was a lovely, a lovely analogy that I came up with with another client. Um, it's rethinking your rethinking. With people with ADHD, we already think outside the box. But what we forget to do is acknowledge that we're already thinking outside the box. So we need to rethink our rethinking. And it's kind of like people within the box, as it were, are kind of like, right, these are the parameters. We must do this, blah, 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 blah. And ironically, to some extent, we with ADHD, we're kind of doing the same thing. We might be outside the box, but we're still thinking, okay, these are our parameters outside of the box. We must do these things outside of the box. But we still set the limits on either end of our parameters, it's kind of like, well, you know, you can change that as well, right? You know, you can mix that up. You know, you can 
ditch that or change it or take on something else completely new. And that, yeah, rethinking your rethinking is a big, big deal, but it's, it's getting into that habit in the first place. <laughs> yeah. So I've written down, I'm just trying to read my hand, my own handwriting here. But <laughs> this is something that you wrote in your notes to me. And I just wanted to touch on this before yeah. we go. So you said you've always felt like a slightly wonky, misplaced unicorn. You might not even remember <laughs> writing that. <laughs> no, I remember writing that because that's something I feel every day. Yes. Yeah. And I think especially as a black woman with ADHD, I think you're definitely in the minority because, yes. I mean, it's I speak to a lot of women who with ADHD and I would say that the majority are white or, the, or who have been diagnosed so that they know they have ADHD. Can you tell me a little bit about being black, ADHD, how your family, where you see it in your community? Is there awareness out there? And yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit more. There is awareness, but like that ship, it's really slow. Um, as black women, we have to hold ourselves in a certain regard, in a certain space, Um Oh gosh, this is such a huge topic. There's a lot of expectation and people forget that we are still human. I was on a, a documentary, um, was it last year or maybe the year before, year before for BBC Radio 4 called Black Women Don't Cry because quite literally we're supposed to be seen as super strong and super hardcore and, you know, nothing affects us and, you know, we don't hurt. If you cut us, do we bleed? No, we just keep going and there's all of that that goes on. And even in terms of mental health, addressing mental health issues in black women, it's still few and far between where, you know, I mean, don't ask me for statistics because of course I don't remember any of them <laughs> right now, <laughs> but you know, we're less likely to get the care and attention that we need just because of the color of our skin. And I know loads of people might think to themselves, oh, well, you know, that's not really the case. It's just as hard for someone else. And it's like, I can understand you saying that, but the statistics, and you can go out there and find the st statistics Anywhere you look, if you really want to find them, you'll find them. And then they're not hard to find. Statistics show that it is harder for black women to be diagnosed with just about anything, apart from being diagnosed as being black. Like we're more likely to be diagnosed for that than anything else, to be quite honest with you, which is ridiculous because that's the freaking obvious thing. So being black with ADHD in my family, I'll be honest with you, has been an absolute nightmare. Um, my... I mean, my dad is no longer with us, um, but he and I were estranged for the longest time ever. And it actually now turns out, looking back at all of his behaviours, I'm 99.9 .9 recurring percent sure that he had ADHD. Like, I would bet one of my cellos on it, and that's saying a lot. <laughs> um, I'm also pretty certain that at least one of my siblings has it. But again, because of st stereotypes and things, they're kind of like, yeah, well... It's fine. I'm just going to, I'm coping. It's fine. I'm just going to ignore it. And I'm like, okay, well, beyond that, there's nothing else I can do, which is interesting because, you know, there's history of depression and um, other, you know, sort of mental disorders in my family. And I just think there's, in my opinion, there's always an underlying something which tends to trigger these comorbidities. And it was another one of the reasons why I explored my own mental health and why my brain was doing what the things it was doing. Like I had massive, massive mental health issues when I was younger, um, was in mental health care, was doing all sorts of things that I shouldn't have been doing. 
But a lot of it was just never explored or discussed within my family because it's just kind of like, no, 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 we don't do that. We don't talk about that. Um, you know, we just keep marching on. We just keep fighting forwards. But to be honest, I think a lot of it is just because we're tired. We're, we, it's like we need to pick a battle. And right now the battle isn't let's get um, ADHD recognised in black people. The battle is let's just survive as black people in the world that we're in. Yeah, I feel like a unicorn because I'm speaking out because I recognise that I am extremely different to the majority of my peers for all of the reasons. Um, yeah, it's it's a tough battle. It's a painful battle. It's, it's a battle that ne is never ending. I recognise that it will never end. The cycle will continue for the longest time ever, but it is ongoing and it is out there and it is very, very, very real, regardless of what anyone chooses to think or believe. It is very, very real. Absolutely, because surely, you know, this is a neurological issue, so it kind of overrides all races, religions, <laughs> yeah. ethnic ethnicities. It's not, you know, like a, a white person. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and I think what you say is incredibly profound, and I'm sorry that you've had to, you have to choose your battles. Um, but I hope that, you know, from this conversation, that people who, you know, may be listening and may know of someone that, you know, might just kind of like help because I think the more awareness that we have and especially when you talk about mental health and you know from growing up and it, I guess you know the ADHD is the root condition is the root yeah, and then the, and everything all the comorbidities kind of you know spiral from there with the um, depression and the anxiety and behavioral issues uh, and I think just to have that level of understanding is so helpful for people and you see it like you mentioned with your dad and you can see it in your siblings that I would say, I, I would put my house on it, that if you have ADHD, at least a few members of your family are going to yes. have it. It yes. doesn't present completely out of nowhere. It may have been triggered by trauma. It yeah. may be triggered by circumstance. You know, like some people come out with ADHD and if they've had very stable upbringings yes. and they've had all things going for them, you know, you see, you see the success and even you see the success without that. But I think it is more, you know, if you've had a, an early diagnosis, you've had great school teachers, mm -hmm. understanding parents, then you are more likely to be able to embrace that ADHD. Yes. But if everything's gone against you and, you know, and you've had parents who have been, had undiagnosed ADHD, then it's lots of chaos. Yeah, it's chaos is the perfect, that's a beautiful term. That is absolutely spot on. Chaos is 100% accurate. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I hope you found what you were looking for in this conversation and it's helped guide you towards some further self-healing, self-exploration, and most importantly, self-acceptance. And if you have enjoyed this conversation and would like to experience more of my work, such as access to exclusive live workshops and opportunities for group coaching sessions, connecting with other like-minded women, and a general feeling of belonging, please come and check out my monthly membership, the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Collective. I've made it as affordable as possible, and I offer you lots of resources and opportunities for connection and support from other women all around the world being diagnosed with ADHD later on in life. I'd absolutely love to see you there. All the details are in this episode's show notes or on my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. See you in the next episode.